an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside! A thunderous dunk! And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Carter Rodriguez is away being a good parent, so while he deals with that, I'm going to do some work to become a better Cavs podcaster and address some of my biases and preconceived notions about this draft. Joining me today to help me on this journey is friend of the podcast, Jackson Frank. You may know him from basically every outlet that exists. Jackson, how are you doing today? Uh, I am doing well. It is currently 115 degrees in Portland, Oregon, so I have all the blinds closed. I have three fans on, and I am trying to not sweat, but I am I am doing well other than that. I'm staying inside the house for the time being. Well, I, I don't think uh, this podcast is going to make you sweat too much, hopefully, but that sounds hopefully just not. unbearable. That, that sounds yeah, awful. I, I took my dog out for about two minutes, and I had... had four beads of sweat on my forehead and that was enough for me so <laughs> in all fairness the dog probably doesn't want to go out either in this oh, weather right not. the alternative is peeing in the house and that's that's not that's not good for anyone so <laughs> no no especially as that pee heats up but we're not here to talk about that um it actually i really appreciated this as i was looking to book this podcast I was thinking, okay, we can do kind of a general draft focus and whatnot. I was like, we can go over the first five pro, uh, kind of the consensus top five or six prospects. And you responded saying, hey, I, I'm not actually that comfortable talking about the G League guys. I've kind of done more in-depth uh, analysis on the guys that actually play college basketball. And that got my gears turning. It made me thrilled. I was so excited because the ca- conversation right now with Cast Twitter is basically with the rumors that Houston may select Jalen Green. The debate has shifted from to uh, Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley to, to see which one would best kind of suit the Cavs. And I thought this was a really good opportunity to kind of deep dive on those two prospects. Uh, personally, I haven't been as high on Jalen Suggs, um, both fit with the Cavs and just in a vacuum. But I, I think the right spot to start this off would actually be how far behind these guys do you feel they are uh, behind Kid Cunningham? I think, I think Mobley is is pretty close. I, 
I don't know how close I know. Like I, there's some people I've talked to that I, I trust their evaluations a lot. And, and they, some of them feel pretty strongly that they're in the same tier. Um, Caden mm-hmm. Mobley. I don't really know anyone that has, you know, anyone's opinion that I, you know, I, I'm not to devalue anyone's opinion, but I don't know anyone that I've talked with and, you know, hold in high regard has Suggs and Cade in the same tier, but I do think there's a case for, I mean, I, I think if anyone is going to be the best player in this class, is isn't Cade, it's absolutely Mobley. And I think, and that's not just all the, the upside pick, you know, it's not something like that. It's not the, you know, the, the Poku argument of last year and like that. It's Mobley <laughs> is a really, really good prospect. And I think he, he has a case for being in that top tier. Now I, I support, like I, I have long held that Cade is, is the top guy in this class. Um, not that that's some hot take, of course. Um, but Mobley is really good, and there's a lot of reasons to buy into him. And so I would put him clearly a tier ahead of Suggs, um, maybe even two tiers, honestly. Um, wow. Again, just in terms, I mean, there, I will go into kind of the pros and cons and why I feel like that. But Mobley is a really, really awesome prospect. Um, truly is. Like, I think I think Jalen Green is a good prospect. I, I haven't seen as much of him as I told you, but um, – I think Mobley is really awesome. And the Rockets, if they do do pass on Jalen Green or do pass on Evan Mobley, would be making a mistake. But Jalen Green, again, will be, a, I think, a very good player. But I still think Mobley is a cut above him and, and Suggs. Man, it's just not fair that there's two Jalen's at the top of this draft. It, it just confuses me, and, and I'm prone to misspeak. Uh, and that is just that—that that is some tough. Well, luckily, Jalen Johnson is, is a little farther down the board. So there's not three of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, left, luck, he luckily, he slipped. I, I do appreciate yeah. that for him. Um, but yeah, let, let's start with Mobley, seeing as you are really high on him, like as high as I am as well, because I kind of feel like the 99th percentile outcome for Evan Mobley is a player that can win an MVP. He, he's someone that isn't necessarily a traditional player, at least in my view, in, in watching him. It's really hard to kind of come up with comparables for him. You, you can do it with certain aspects of his game. But when it comes to Evan Mobley, like when you look at him next season, let, let's start there. What do you think his usage and ball handling responsibilities should be? Should, should they be higher early in his career or would he benefit from kind of a, a low usage role as he develops physically and kind of finds his footing in the NBA? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think in terms of the the context with the Cavs specifically, I think growing a two-man game with Darius Garland specifically would be a really good place to start. Um, obviously give him some reps in terms of, you know, some face-up jumpers, allow him to, you know, maybe run some inverted pick and rolls where someone else is a screener and he's getting downhill because um, he's so fluid and long. He's not, I mean, obviously he has, he's going to have to put on some muscle and he's not some blazing fast guy. Um, he covers ground very quickly for a big man, especially. Um, but he doesn't need, like, if you give him any sort of space, it's, it's, again, I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Giannis, of course, but it's similar to where Giannis can eat up space so quickly with his strides and, and whatnot. A similar way to Mobley, where if you give him space, he's going to be able to get there. And he has, he has, he has much better touch inside than Giannis does. Um, so again, not comparing them as players. Uh, I mean, Giannis might, might end up being the best player on the title team this year. Um, but that sort of thing. So I think there'd be a balance, but for the Cavs specifically, I would really look to grow that two man game. Um, and then when Garland's out, you know, try and get him some more kind of on ball reps, um, and whatnot. And, and, uh, and that's kind of how I would go about it, but a balance for sure. I mean, whoever, whoever drafts some kind of, you know, if it's the Rockets, for instance, you know, trying to grow the two man game with Kevin Porter Jr. Um, would be something I would try and do there. So, um, a balance for sure, but really kind of tie whoever you have as your kind of young ball handler right now and make sure there's a two-man game there. But then when the young ball handler's out of the game, um, try and let Mobley do some of those face-up reps, some of that ball handling and whatnot. Um, and especially in transition, I would really kind of encourage to see what he can do in the open floor there with the ball in his hands. 
So that's how I would go about it. But I think that's a really interesting question and an important one for his you know, development over the next three or four years. Right. And the other aspect of this is the Cavs were not a great offensive team, right? And I think there's some concern of drafting Evan Mobley, whether you view him as a four or five, which I guess you can speak to, but just that's not really adding three-point shooting right away. That That's not kind of addressing those needs that the Cavs have. Now, you can pretty easily see how Evan Mobley and Jared Allen would be pretty good defensively together, uh, um, especially if they're paired with Isaac Okoro, which, again, has spacing concerns. Um, but there is interesting kind of skills that Mobley does possess when it comes to passing on the short roll or operating kind of at the nail uh, to, to bust a zone. Do you kind of see those issues like how important is spacing to him early in his career or do you think that he's just so talented and his IQ is so high that he would improve any offense no matter what the conditions are I think he'll certainly improve the offense uh, especially because I mean if you want to look at him deal with lack of space you can go watch a game or a half of him at USC um, he was playing extra traditional big pretty much the entire time whether it was him or you know whether it was his brother or a different guy um, didn't have a ton of spacing. So that's, I think that's one reason to be optimistic is, um, you know, similar to Nick Kongu, who again, is a much lesser prospect, but is clearly having a very nice playoff run with the Hawks um, that you, you, there's already kind of, you it can't get much worse context wise in terms of spacing and kind of, you know, maybe dearth of talent around him uh, as, a, as a big man at USC. So I don't worry too much. And I think what he does really well is he takes pressure off of Darius Garland um, and two, he provides another awesome lob threat for Garland. Obviously, we saw the chemistry he, Garland and Jared Allen had, you know, once Allen came over in that trade. Uh, you get another guy there who can do that, you know, whether it's Mobley filling the minutes at the five when Allen's off the floor, if they you know, retain Allen, um, or it's him, you know, maybe he's spacing the, maybe they're running kind of the, you know, the big, the big play, a bunch of teams running down the playoffs is double drag. So maybe it's Jared Allen, you know, rolling to the basket and Mobley's popping. And then Garland has you know, an array of options. He can go to that floater he likes. He can kick it out to Mobley. He can make the lob. Um, so I do think he'll make things a lot easier, but it won't be it won't be to the degree you'd maybe envision in a few years when maybe, let's say, Garland's in his his fifth year, Mobley's in year three, uh, and they have Allen still or something like that. So, um, And I do believe a lot in Mobley as a, um, as a shooter. Um, I, I don't know exactly when you're going to put this podcast out, but P.D. Webb, who's a, one of the best draft minds out there, is doing a – Let's watch film with Ricky O'Donnell, Espionation on Evan Mobley. I think tomorrow. I don't. I, I fight, recall. So whenever this comes out, it'll be tomorrow mm-hmm. night. Uh, and Pete does a great job putting those on YouTube as well. So for anyone listening who wants even more in depth about Mobley, um, I recommend checking that out. I didn't mean to kind of derail things there, but it just kind of popped in my head. So hey, no, absolutely get the get those plugs in. And uh, I, I think right now, Cas Twitter and listeners of our podcast are consuming so much draft content that uh, we are not uh, afraid of any recommendations at this point. So when you look at Mobley, though, what do you think an ideal team is around an actualized version of Evan Mobley? Like, what would be the best way to kind of maximize him? Do you think it is as a five long term, or do you, do you think that uh, he's such a unique talent at the four that he can continue playing that at, at least, let's say, like a, a Chris Bosch or Anthony Davis type minutes distribution where they're playing the bulk of their minutes at the four but may close at the five in certain situations? Yeah, I think he's more of a four, four slash five, especially because he has some rebounding issues. Um, wasn't a great defensive rebounder. While individual rebounding isn't, you know, the most important skill, the fact of the matter is a defensive possession doesn't end until you secure the defensive rebound. So mm-hmm. um, he's, he's got a weak core. He's got a little bit of a high center of gravity, as a lot of big men do. Um, and so he can kind of be pushed out of his spots at times, you know. Uh, someone gets a little lower than him, and you kind of can dislodge him and get get them on his back. So 
I would see, it, see him as a four slash five. And I think that's perfectly fine because he is incredibly mobile. He's long, he's agile. He, he turned, he changes directions quicker than like 99% of big man in the NBA. Um, and so I, I don't, and I know some people are like, oh, like, where do you play him? I don't have, I think it's honestly a bonus, um, especially for the, the two teams that are kind of his main suitors, whether, you know, with the Rockets and, and Cavs, because the Rockets have Christian Wood, of course, and the Cavs, you know, have a chance to retain Jared Allen, though, mm-hmm. obviously he's Two, two, two mobile bigs that he could potentially yeah, play exactly. with. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't worry about it at all. I, I think, it, I think the Anthony, you know, the Anthony Davis comparison makes comparison makes a lot of sense because you know there are a lot of things. You know, there's for all the handwringing about Davis playing the five, there are benefits to him playing the four. So uh, I think it's the same thing with Mobley. Uh, I, I don't really worry about about that either of these teams that you know, he might end up on in the next month or so. Yeah, it's funny because I, I feel like even if Jared Allen, uh, whether it was a sign and trade or he left in restricted free agency, like I feel you still need to find a, a center to play with Mobley, especially the, these first couple of years, because you, you don't really want that physical toll on him. Uh, as you mentioned, the rebounding concerns and whatnot. So uh, I, I think ideally, maybe you'd have a stretch five kind of in the, the mold of a, a Miles Turner or something along those lines. But uh, Jared Allen has shown potential with, with that corner three pointer and it has some nice touch there so maybe they can work things out but a, a two-man game with Mobley and Darius Garland with uh, Jared Allen waiting in the dunker spot is also really really intriguing especially when you view that film of Mobley and, and some of the big to big passing that he was doing yeah and that's the thing that you know I think really helps too is is the passing you mentioned there I mean you look at you look at kind of you know a team like you know obviously John Collins is a much better shooter than Mobley is currently but you look at that sort of thing here with Capella and Collins two guys who kind of prefer to fit to finish lob rather than space the floor. Obviously Collins and Capello are in different galaxies as shooters, but um, Mobley is a much better passer than John Collins, even if John Collins improved there. So I think there's, there's totally the, the chance for, you know, to run a pick and roll with Garland and Mobley uh, and Allen in the dunker spot. And if the defense comes up, he makes that either, you know, it's a bounce pass, it's a drop-off pass or a lob. If the defense sits back to take away the lob, Mobley's got great touch to finish with a little floater or maybe even extend all the way and kind of get, get his own bucket at the rim. So, um, I'm sure, you know, there'll be more growing concerns than maybe my, my description, you know, envisions or idealizes, but, um, I really don't worry that much. Uh, and I think it could even benefit Mobley to kind of continue to grow his perimeter game a little more, really focus on that, that three point shot, mm. uh, maybe kind of stream on the mechanics a little bit. I think there's a good baseline there for sure. Um, he's a, kind of, as like a two motion shot. I think maybe a one and a half motion, just a little more, a little less of a hitch there at the top of the release would help. Um, but I, I don't really worry. I think a guy like Allen would be great. And, you know, as, as awesome as a stretch five would be with Mobley, the reality is there aren't a ton of starting centers who are stretch fives. No, um, especially ones that aren't defensive liabilities. Like yeah, you, you'll, you'll find the odd one, but uh, they're usually not the most mobile or defensive minded. Yeah. If you're looking at the starting, you know, kind of the list of starting centers or stretch fives pretty quickly get to Joel Embiid and Joel and Embiid was a good shooter this year, but for his career is pretty inconsistent. So that's, less of a testament to his three point credentials and more of the fact that like, yeah, you can kind of shoot it at his starting center. And that's, so you get pretty quickly to a guy like that. Um, it shows you how scarce that, that archetype is, especially for a starter level. There are more guys off the bench, the Olympics, the Muscala's stuff like that, but um, you're not going to start, you're going to start one of those guys next to Mobley. You just start Mobley at the five at that point. So. Right. And I think from a Cavs perspective, too, you probably want as much spacing around them as possible. And Garland and Sexton provide three point shooting. Isaac Okoro is a bit of a question mark. He's finally getting his first offseason. So you're hoping that he can contribute uh, from the three point line. But I think 
if I'm them, I'm prioritizing bringing in a shooter, whether that be Torian Prince returning or uh, going after someone like Doug McDermott that, that can kind of space the floor just so that, hey, if Okoro needs a, a little more time, you can always move him to the bench. Uh, fully kind of optimize the Garland uh, Mobley pick and roll or Garland Allen pick and roll with uh, two other spacers around them and kind of figure things out from there because there, there's as much as we like to talk uh, about starting lineups only there, there's a lot of minutes in a game and a, a lot of uh, kind of switching and uh, staggering that you can do throughout a rotation yeah for sure and I think you know, again, I don't want, I'm not trying to make the honest comparison here, but I think you look at, you know, sometimes when the Bucks run, if Brooke Lopez is a roller or whatever, and, you know, Giannis is playing on the wing or, he, and then, and he's making those cuts when the defense keys on, keys in on like the initial action. I think Mobley can do something similar to that with his fluidity and his touch and his, his stride length. You know, you're running Garland, Allen pick and roll on one side, and Mobley's up top and defense keys in, and then boom, Giannis, very nice. Mobley makes a cut and Garland <laughs> is a fantastic passer. Of course, um, you should trust that Garland can make those reads. So I, I, I think people will be pleasantly surprised. Maybe not in year one, maybe, but, you know, assuming this is kind of the core four to five guys that we've mentioned here. Um, I think you'll be pretty happy with how that could work offensively, but defensively. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking about kind of how, how Isaac Accor and Evan Mobley would shut down every pick and roll in a couple of years. Um, I think it'd be really, really cool. So obviously the offense would take some time, but I think the defense would be really, really cool. And, um, that's what you're going to need because I, I think Garland can be a fine defender for kind of a smaller guard, but mm-hmm. um, you're always going to be working a bit of a deficit when you're building around like like that. And so surrounding him with the Al- Jared Allen of Mobley and, uh, and Isaac Okoro is, is a very nice place to start. And you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with Sexton, but um, he obviously has a long way to go defensively as well. So those would be three really nice guys to kind of put around your, your scoring oriented, offensive oriented guards there. I, I mean, if Evan Mobley is making people make Freudian slips, uh, for Giannis, uh, I think Cavs fans would be pretty happy. Is it fair to say he he's closer to kind of a, a Giannis type player than a traditional big? Because obviously there there's a lot of anxiety, especially for fans that haven't watched as closely, um, about taking a big this high in the draft. Like uh, there there's a bit of a tension there that hey they're easy to find, easy to replace. Um, you you really shouldn't be a kind of investing draft draft capital in them when you could go get someone like a Jalen Suggs, who, who's a, a floor general and a leader. Uh, do, do you think it, it's fair to say that Mobley is closer to that kind of freak outlier in Giannis than he is a, a traditional big? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important for me to dial back the Giannis comparisons in the sense that like Giannis is incredibly strong. Mobley has a long way to go there. Of course, mm-hmm. the counter is Giannis came into the league fairly underdeveloped, but I think he was at least a year or two younger. Um, Mobley's a little older first class. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, he, be, I don't think he's a big in the limiting sense. I think he is someone who opens up a lot for you. And not that you're suggesting kind of the depreciation of bigs, but I think these playoffs have shown it's pretty important to have. A, I mean, you can look at any of these series, like how much the Hawks need Capella in their mm-hmm. time, like how important Ivica Zubats has been in this series. Now, he wasn't the first couple of series, but um, how important he was there. You know, uh, Embiid was great. Obviously, Embiid is an MVP caliber guy, but. Um, a lot of these teams are looking like the biggest important, you know, Zubats is not a, great, it's not a huge deal, but, um, you know, you still need them. So I think kind of the, the answer to your direct question. Yeah. I don't think he is the, I don't think he's kind of your classic, just back to the basket. Can't really shoot. Can't dribble. Like he's got a lot of skills. I think he certainly opens up a lot for you on both ends, um, more than maybe limiting things. And that's, that's where I think most people have skepticism about big men is how they limit things for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the, the underlying philosophy there more than the position itself. And I don't think Mobley really limits anything for you and, and really kind of 
enhances the surrounding players' margin for errors on you know whatever certain skills they they struggle with or they they excel with. Yeah, I feel like the the small ball movement in the NBA is really more about getting talent at all five positions, and I think you're seeing more and more big men come into the league with well-rounded skills they they don't take anything off of the table and I, I don't think that Evan Mobley really fits that description like I, I think he, he's someone that adds a whole lot of things to the table not takes it off uh, I guess but before we move on to Suggs the one question that I have with him is if he is playing at the four and you are going against a small ball lineup let's say a forward like Gordon Hayward's playing the four do you think Mobley is able to defend those wings early in his career or is that going to take some time I think I think it depends on the, the context of their usage. Like if they're running Gordon Hayward with a bunch of high screen rolls, then yeah, Mobley's going to have some struggles there. Um, but I think in certain ways he can certainly be fine. You know, if it's if Hayward's off the ball and it's as asking Mobley to you know, maybe tag tag the roller, you know, help on a drive and things like that, I think he'll be fine there. But but yeah, it would certainly take some uh, take some adjustment. But again, I think it's something he's certainly capable of uh, down the line. And I think the the ability because. If you want to tie it back to Anthony Davis again, you look at some of the times Anthony Davis has played the four with the good rim protector in there. The ability for Anthony Davis to just destroy so many things by roaming off the ball, kind of being a free safety, is something I think Mobley could absolutely do. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that would really help him. But in terms of an on-ball defense role against maybe some of these wing-sized ball handlers playing the, the small ball four, he would definitely have some issues. I mean, it's just, it's just I mean, so I remember there was a great clip from from Giannis. I think after the first round, maybe midway through the first round, someone asked him about like. I think you kind of struggled defending screens, and he was like, "Yeah, I do, but I'm great for a seven footer." Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it's just natural for a guy that for anyone that size like to struggle defending screens. But you can get a, you can get away with it to an extent because if you're big enough, you can still contest shots or you know close off passing lanes. So um, yeah, it'd be an adjustment, but I, but I wholeheartedly believe that he can get to a point where it's not some huge deficiency. Um, I, I don't think he'll ever get to the point where Giannis is a scorer, but I think there are a lot of similarities, and that's why I try to kind of continue to tepidly press kind of press that comparison because i mean Giannis is averaging 30 again plus i don't think mobile ever do that but i think kind of the defensive defensive abilities at that size with mobility uh, and then some of the offensive usage less than the offensive you know ceiling i think is kind of where i can see some of the similarities but again i want want to preface that i, I don't think he'll be Giannis, and it'd be really hard to reach the point where Giannis is a scorer because despite his limitations still being is still quite a good scorer so that's it, kind of how i view things it, it's pretty ridiculous to assume any prospect is going to hit that Giannis tier like you you can come in with all the skills you can be as polished as you want but Giannis is just he's a hell of a player like like you said he might be the best player on a team that wins a title this year so um that, those are very very lofty standards but when we had you on the podcast last time, I, I think the consensus with the Cavs is they have good young pieces, but they need a guy that can be a number one. Now, obviously, you have Mobley higher than Suggs, but do you think both of these players, if they reach their potential, uh, potential, could be a number one guy on a team, or is that something you just reserve for Mobley? Like, let's not say a, a team that wins at all, but at least a team that is in contention. I, I really do struggle to get there with Suggs. Um, I, I just think he. He's he's too limited offensively for me. Um, he okay. can do some things, but his biggest issue is he he can't really kind of you know create you know the big kind of term these days when it's like is it advantage creation or creating advantages. He can't really do that on his own. You saw a bunch of limitations. Like if you want a game to watch his 
maybe some of what he can do well and some of the crazy struggles offensively, defensively. Just go watch the national championship. Um, obviously, watch other games. You're going to scout him, of course. But that's a great one because Baylor has really, really good guards defensively, and they really kind of crowded Suggs, got into his handle where he struggles, doesn't have a great handle, and made things tough. He couldn't get downhill a lot. Um, I think he ended up with a fine stat line, but just like from my recollection watching it, like I was I was like, oh, this is a game that kind of is illuminating of some of his issues that people were projecting but not really seeing much because Gonzaga, you know, played play, – play, I mean, Gonzaga was a great team, of course, because they played a fairly easy schedule at times. Um, not their fault, and they, they won those games that they should. But um, some of the things we projected would be, would be would he, that he would struggle with, he ended up struggling with against, you know, some NBA-caliber guys. So um, I just really worry about him in that sense. Again, he doesn't, you don't have to be, like, some dominant scorer to be number one option. But I don't think – I think he – because of his limitations, like kind of creating space, that'll hurt him with his passing. And I don't think his de- – like I think his defense is good, but I think he will take some time to adjust. He likes to take risks. That'll take some adjustment. Um, you know, it's easier when you're kind of a bigger wing, maybe the Mikel Bridges or the Devin Vassells of the world. Mm-hmm. A, little, a little harder when you're 6'4 with a 6 – I think he's got about a neutral wingspan. Um, a little harder in that way. So um, I, I just don't think he has kind of that ceiling, but I think he could be a very good – 2A, 2B, maybe number three on a title team. I think he has a lot of things that would fit in well as kind of a secondary guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just don't see kind of the defensive ceiling to offset my worries about his his ability to kind of create his own offense or even you know get into space and create for others because he is a very good passer. He does read the floor very well. Those are two of his best. Like his 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 feel for the game at this age is, is really, really awesome. Yeah. Same with Mobley, same with Kate. I mean, those three guys are really special, kind of their their basketball intelligence at this age. It's, it's it's uncommon for, I don't want to say, I mean, I guess a lot of guys kind of who are at the top of the class tend to get those, those labels, but uh, those three of them at that, that kind of stage is pretty uncommon. So uh, there's a lot of things well, but I still just do worry about kind of the upside on both ends a little bit. Yeah. I, I really do like a lot of what he does bring to the table, but it does jump out that it, it doesn't seem like he he's kind of a high volume shot creator. Like it almost feels like offensively, he's a little more in that drew holiday mold where you, you're almost better off playing off of a more dynamic guard, which fortunately the Cavs have, right? Like you, you do have that in Darius Garland or, or Colin Saxton. I could see him fitting with either of those guys. Does the fact that he, he kind of specialized in basketball later in his career, later in his development, kind of change your projections for him? Or do you feel like his inability to kind of create space and some of those offensive limitations, is that kind of a physical thing more than a uh, development uh, flaw? Yeah, I think it's more of a physical thing, especially because, as I mentioned, I think he does really read the game and think the game in a, a very impressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one thing, you know, you know, kind of a guy who, from another guy from Gonzaga that people always talk about was Rui Hachimura, a guy that maybe came to the game a little later. Um, but but Suggs is such a smart player. Like, he just – he anticipates things so quickly on both ends that it leaves me hesitant. Oh, there's like – the reason he can't get downhill is because he doesn't know the angle. It's I think to me it's more – it's the lack of dynamic handle. Um, and then another thing that I've noticed is he's kind of tightly contained. You know, he doesn't quite use his build to the degree he should. I don't, or maybe he can't. I don't know. Like, he just kind of seems like, like, I don't know, it's tough to describe, but, like, if you watch him play, he just doesn't quite, like, he just seems so, like, balled up at times um, and kind of compressed uh, is the way I would put it. Like, if you watch some of the re- some clips of maybe him struggling to create, create downhill or something, that's how I would describe it. Um, but I think the – I have used the Drew Holiday comp not as a ceiling player. Like, I think if he reached a Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday comp, that would be a great outcome for him. Yeah. Top, top 25, 30-ish player now. Maybe that's too kind, given the struggles Drew's had this this postseason. But <laughs> um, but I think the idea where I see the parallels is, is Jalen is super strong for a guy his his age too. 
um, really does kind of have a, it, and that's why he's a pretty good on-ball defender too, is because he can really get up into guys. Um, but the, but Drew's not blown by guys, right? Like if he's getting downhill, it's because he's kind of getting a guy on his hip where he's backing him down and just taking nine dribbles into the paint and then he has a close game for a guard. So I think that would be something that would really benefit Jalen's watching a ton of subs because right, or watching a ton of holiday, excuse me, um, because right now he, he tries to use more of his explosiveness and kind of his burst to get downhill, but he doesn't have those things to, for it to work. And so I think if he kind of went into more of a, a strength-based advantage creation, it'd really benefit him. Because some people comp him to Derrick Rose, things like that. I mean, that's just that's just varying. It's completely underselling kind of the athlete Derrick Rose was. Um, and probably, I mean, probably still is to an extent. I mean, Rose is still an incredible athlete mm-hmm. uh, at this stage. But um, they're just different athletes, too. And so I think that is, one, it's, it's underselling Rose, and two, it's a misunderstanding of what makes subs a good athlete um and so that's like that's the one thing is i would like again i i don't know everything but if i was if i was on the team that was drafting subs i would like i would be having watched through holiday film for kind of his offensive to for kind of an offensive outline um from day one i think that could really be a nice path for me and, so, and holiday is longer i think i think is a really nice wingspan there yeah um, but two super strong guards who don't have some incredible burst but can spit like maybe the path would still be someone you can rely on to create offense as a secondary guy and that's that's how i go about it using the strength more than kind of the explosiveness that he tries to rely on now often to a to a i guess a detriment uh in, in key situations so th- that secondary creation kind of lends itself to playing off ball which is something that he didn't really do tons of at gonzaga from what i understand like there, there wasn't a lot of catch and shoot opportunities uh that he had is that something that you feel like there's room for him to grow? His three-point shooting wasn't really that strong, but maybe if you get him the ball on the go, like what what are the best ways to kind of optimize him as a rookie? Yeah, so I think one, I think he still has to take he has, still has to grow in terms of willingness to take spot up jumpers. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, didn't have to tell him because he played in like one of the best offensive ever. Like he could kind of do what he wanted when he caught the ball, but there are times you go back and watch some Gonzaga stuff where he probably had an open spot up three when the ball swung around to him and he was more intent on driving the lane. There wasn't maybe a lane there. So that's one thing and just kind of a tendency that I think is fairly correctable as you get into a less optimal situation, because I mean, there wasn't probably a better situation for a high level prospect than, than Gonzaga last year, whether it's Kispert or, or Suggs, even a guy like Joel guy, he's maybe a little lower level uh, prospect, but um, I think that's one thing I'll have to improve. But the other thing I really like for him is Gonzaga ran a lot of kind of motion based stuff. Um, so maybe where a defense is already a, or a half a rotation behind or the, you know, the, the guy guarding subs is already on his hip. Uh, and that's where kind of this court vision and this, you know, this court mapping, which a lot of people have seemed to use recently comes into play. Um, you know, maybe a play where, uh, you know, play, let's say like right now, like the Suns love to run a play where they'll get Booker on a handoff and then he flows into pick and roll. Um, Booker's a little bigger, but that sort of thing where the defense is already a bit compromised by the time Suggs hits the ball and he can kind of use his his vision and his instincts to make a play because, he, again, he's a very good passer. So that's the role I like to see for him in terms of kind of leveraging his creation, especially his passing. Um, but then, yeah, off the ball, he's going to have to continue to get more willing as a spot-up shooter and not rely on attacking the basket as much because those opportunities won't be there. And, you know, the times he does maybe force it to the rim and doesn't work are more you know impactful than they were at Gonzaga when you're up 18 points with four minutes to go. Mm-hmm. So – those are the things I'd like to see him improve, but I think there is a lot of stuff he can do well in a secondary role. It just requires, you know, a, an offense that doesn't build around, you know, it's, it's the, it's the Phoenix type offense where there's a lot of motion moving, passing, cutting versus the, a little bit more of the Hawks, the, the Mavericks offense, where it's more built around one guy. and You kind of work off of that. I think so. Um, 
not the one, not the one way is the best way to run offense, but for Suggs, if you're trying to maximize him, I think a motion-based offense is a little more conducive to him kind of maximizing his, his offensive game. Well, on this here podcast, we are anti-heliocentric offenses. So <laughs> uh, I, I like having multiple guys that can create. I, I think that that's the best way to go. Like if you can have one primary guy and two secondary guys and m- multiple guys on the floor can run a play, like to me, that's really attractive. And uh, the fact that Moley presents that and, and Suggs brings that to the table as well, that's that's something that is attractive. Uh, how much work do you think he has to do on his jump shot? Like you, you spoke to kind of the willingness, but uh, from a mechanic standpoint or a strength standpoint like do, do you think that he's got a ways to go before he can um sh- be a reliable shooter or how, how much work do you think is ahead of him i don't think there's that much work honestly he made huge strides over the past couple of years um i don't i don't i, I want to say it was the 2019 fiba championships when we played with team usa mm-hmm. um and i think his jumper was and that stuff is on youtube like if, if anyone's listening they want to go google i think i think it was 2019 i was going into uh yeah i think it was going it was Anyway, there's some year, if you go Jalen Suggs FIBA, you can find the year he played and find it on YouTube by just typing in the games and whatnot. But if you go find those kind of clips, his jumper was a lot more mechanical and stiff. And then you can go compare it to his last year at Minnehaha, which is where he played high school, or you can compare it to Gonzaga. Um, a lot more fluid. Um, so I, I feel pretty com- comfortable there. And he, he, I know the numbers weren't great, but he had some really impressive flashes, especially off the dribble. Um, earlier in the year, like I think his conference play numbers weren't great from three, but um, had some really impressive, you know, I think he had five or six threes against Iowa in a big time game. Iowa was a top 25 team all year, um, hit some big shots against Kansas in the opening game of the year. Kansas was, a, you know, a team that made the second round last year was a top 25 squad. So um, I, I, I mean, the samples in college are so small. I, that, that that's what I was about to bring up. Is so, he, he took less than four a game, I think yeah, around a hundred total attempts, like one or two more going in, like yeah, either direction like, is going to move those percentages. And you're like, yeah, we can work with that. So I don't really worry. I really do like the strength, the growth he's made there. Um, and some of the flashes he showed were really impressive. I know the free throw numbers weren't great, but again, it's a pretty small sample. He makes eight more free throws and you can't, I mean, you can do that for any guy. Um, my point being here is I like, I like the process I've seen from him over the last couple of years and that, that was pretty encouraged in conjunction with the flashes he showed off the dribble. So um, that, I mean, if you're looking for the way for him to be maybe a top two guy in his class, if possible, it would be with his pull-up shooting, mm. um, honestly, because he's t- he's made big strides there. I don't think he'll ever be a guy who can really get to the rim at will, like a Luca or, you know, or even, I mean, even Booker can get to the rim really well. Um, it would be with kind of those, those pull-up threes and whatnot that he's shown uh, some big growth in. But yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to shoot 38% this year and like that or next year, but, I think, you know, whenever he's in his prime, he'll be a serviceable shooter uh, and probably an above average one for kind of his role. So, you know, the numbers weren't great, but they don't really deter me, especially given kind of his his growth over the last couple of years with his mechanical improvements and some of the flashes he's shown the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and the Cavs can have some confidence, too, that they've had success developing jump shots as well. And given the fact that it's not uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist-like hitch or anything like that, I, I think you can have a little more confidence when it does come to Suggs. Now... The Cavs are in a really interesting spot because obviously there's rumors about uh, Colin Sexton potential trades, and, and that was something Carter and I discussed before. That hey, the team's going to have to do due diligence. They're they're going to have to look at all these options, um, but they are in a nice spot where I don't think that they're forced to make a move in any direction when it comes to basically any of their players. Now, Mobley might force some decisions when it comes to Kevin Love, uh, but when you look at Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green. There's, it's pretty easy to get those guys 32 minutes alongside Garland and Sexton, right? Like, um, if it's Suggs, 
um, Garland Sexton can play 32 minutes a night and uh, Suggs can get 16 minutes at both backup point guard and backup shooting guard. Do you have any concerns of fit, though, in those minutes when he's playing? Let, let's say he splits his minutes evenly where he's playing 16 with Garland, 16 with Sexton. Uh, do you have any concerns about the fit uh, with those guys? I, I like it a lot next to Garland um, because I think Garland, you know, is, is, he's, a, he's a fine defender for his age, but again, he struggles there. So you could let, you could let Suggs maybe take the, you know, the, the tougher backcourt spot. Um, and Suggs, again, has some room to grow defensive, but still I do think projects as a, a pretty good guard defender in the NBA. Um, and then offensively, obviously Garland's going to take the brunt of the creation load there. Um, I do worry a bit about the Sexton thing because I, one, of the, one of the things I liked a lot with Garland's emergence this year is how much Sexton got to play off the ball and really show off his off-ball scoring, whether it was, you know, attacking off the catch, back cuts, things like that, attacking on the move. And I don't, I don't know if Suggs can play enough on the ball to really continue to leverage that. Now, again, you can still play Garland and Sexton together. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not going to play together at all. Um, but, I, but I do worry that, like, you know, I guess you do want to continue to try and grow Sexton's passing. But I do worry that you would be kind of – you'd be li- a bit limited offensively with those two in a backcourt because um, I do like the role that Sexton kind of assumed as kind of this high, this high level quick decision maker, a scoring guy. Again, I mean, you want, I mean, especially with his free agency coming up, assuming, you know, he's, if in this season that we're talking about, he would be, you know, entering his free agency there. So you want to see how he can take stride as a passer, which he has improved, of course. Um, but I would worry a bit about kind of the on-ball viability of those guys for, you know, for 20 minutes a night or 15 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you wouldn't be playing Garland out of the game for 20, for 20 minutes a night. So, <laughs> but, you know, 15 minutes or so, it still really wor- would worry me a bit. Um, but then if you, I mean, I guess... Uh, it just depends on kind of the, the rest of the personnel there. Um, maybe maybe I still have Nance or Love to maybe take some of the pressure off and you know, be facilitators to the elbow, things like that. But uh, a little bit of hesitancy there. But I think you know if, if it was a development season, it would it would benefit Sexton to kind of see what he can do on the ball in terms of his improved decision making and, and passing as we've seen over the last few years from him. I, I think what you're advocating for is bringing back Isaiah Hardenstein. Harn dimes, baby. I'm I'm all I'm all for the experience of bringing him back along with Jared Allen because I I just I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the minutes that he brought to the table. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So when it does come to kind of the decision that the Cavs have to make, like let let's say theoretically it is Cade Cunningham, then Jalen Green, and then Mobley and Suggs. You seem pretty kind of convinced that Mobley is the better prospect in a vacuum. Um, from a fit standpoint, is there anything that would be a kind of a difference maker when you're evaluating these two for their fit specifically with the Cavs, or are you just taking Mobley and, and not looking back? Nothing really for me. I'd go Mobley. Um, I think it's pretty clear for me, especially just kind of based on how I kind of broke down each guy's strength and weaknesses. Um, again, Suggs is a good prospect. I'm not trying to say otherwise, of course, but I just think Mobley's a different class, and and I think he just fits better. I mean, regardless of whether Sexton Sexton and Love start the season with with the Cavs, I think Mobley just fits the team better. Um, I both from a talent and a fit perspective. I mean, obviously, talent should go into fit, so yeah. um, it's pretty clearly Mobley for me. Um, and even I mean, we didn't talk about Green much, but I think even if it was Green versus Suggs, I would still go Green for sure. But um, it's not to disparage Suggs too much. I mean, he's still a top four or five prospect. It's a very impressive, very impressive player who I think should be quite quite good in the NBA. But I think Mobley just is a, just can change the direction of a franchise in a way that I don't really think Suggs can. I think Suggs can amplify what you do, but he won't really kind of be the be the needle mover in, in the sense that Mobley Mobley could be in my eyes. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I think the consensus is if it is between the Jalen's, Jalen Green makes more sense. Like he, he's a, a bigger wing. You, you can use him in a lot of different ways. Um, it, it's very apparent how, how he would fit well with Garland. I mean, he's such a good off-ball player. And when the lottery night happened, Carter and I were basically like, oh, yeah, of course, Houston's going to take Mobley. Like he's the second best prospect. Uh, you can even make an argument for him uh, to be the best in his class. Um, but then the, the reporting came down and then all of a sudden it became this situation of do you take a big versus a guard? I, I saw this guard play really well in the tournament and that's going to make a lot of people excited. They, this team needs a leader. They, they need that sort of thing. So it, it's a really interesting dynamic. And I, I guess from a team standpoint, you got to do due diligence because if Toronto calls you up on draft night and, and they're offering a package to move up because Mobley fell, you need to know what Jalen Suggs brings to the table. But uh, I definitely really appreciate you kind of bringing some perspective here and uh, bringing analysis because while you didn't change my uh, my opinion, because uh, I, I was pretty biased in, in favor of Mobley, um, you, you did help kind of represent Jalen Suggs a little better because I, I hadn't done a lot of diving into him because the Cavs have invested a lot of draft capital in guards over the last couple of years. And everything I had read kind of had him as maybe a, a half tier below uh, Jalen Green and Mobley or uh, a little more if you're high on Mobley. So really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. And, and hey, if uh, if you want to make a preference, I know I know that there was a big big article that came out recently. There's a bunch of draft Twitter guys now with the Rockets, so maybe you can you can kind of throw some propaganda and figure out get whoever guy you want at three uh, by, by posting stuff on Twitter there. So uh, yeah, happy to come on. I hope I was uh, illuminating to anyone who uh, listened and provided some insight for for this uh, this draft class as we get even closer. Or what? Five weeks out? No, four weeks out. My goodness. Yeah, it's it's coming up quickly, and I'm really happy that the Cavs are picking third because. Like, I really get excited about Jalen Green. Like, I, I know the responsible opinion in my mind is Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley's the, the better prospect. Go for it. I think he's got a higher upside. But being in that position where you can just take whichever one falls to you, like, Green is a little more uh, conventional and a little easier to figure out how you're going to do things. So uh, I'm really happy that they're in this position. Now, uh, before we wrap this up, do you have anything else that you would like to plug, let people know that you're working on? Uh, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Every NBA related content thing I do is, is there. I've sent to my bio, all the places I write and, and talk about the NBA. Um, nothing imminently coming up. I'll, I'm doing some stuff about kind of some of the key free agents this summer. Uh, so that should be fun as we kind of enter, you know, we're entered I and mean, we're getting closer and closer to no basketball for a little while. No NBA basketball, excuse me, NBA season basketball. Um, but yeah, no, nothing, on, nothing on the horizon currently, but I uh, appreciate having me on and, Always happy to talk uh, Cavs. I feel like I feel like I'm, I'm slowly integrating into into Cavs Twitter as I <laughs> as I find my affinity for Darius Garland and as a core and try to shed a, an objective light on who Colin Sexton is as a as a player. Well, it, if we do end up with Mobley, uh, we're, we're really welcoming you to the family at that point. Exactly. Uh, but thank you so much, Jackson, and thank you to all our listeners as well. If you're listening to this. Support the podcast by doing what I always ask you to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord uh, club, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cavs.